I'm Kate Daniels. The mental health crisis in our country is so huge and of major concern. But as bad as it is, the fact that our youth are so greatly affected is gut-wrenching. Studies show that the highest levels of sadness ever recorded are experienced by our teens who are persistently sad and hopeless. Dr. Gregory Jantz is a psychologist here in our Puget Sound area. He's the founder of The Center, A Place of Hope, which was voted one of the top 10 facilities in the U.S. for the treatment of depression. Dr. Jantz is the author of 40 books, and his latest is So Much to Live For, How to Provide Help and Hope to Someone Considering Suicide. Dr. Gregory Jantz, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us today. Oh, and we have such an important topic. Truly, it is. Talking about mental health just in general, but more specifically, depression, thinking about teens and the high escalating suicide rate, and then just the very sad, sad and tragic end of Naomi Judd's life in the mix of all this. It shows how critically important it is that that we talk about this and, and see what's going on and what we can do about it. And that's where I'm so grateful we have you with all your years of experience and research here to, to uh, share this information with us this morning. Yes, we need to talk about it, and we need to provide some hope today. And certainly, this has been your life's mission. You you have so many books that are you know really specifically focused. So I think they help people in so many areas. Your latest is so much to live for: how to provide help and hope for someone considering suicide. So. You, this book really is so packed with information, and uh, we can't cover all of that this morning. We're, we're going to touch on a little of it, I know, and then just encourage people to get their own copy of the book and really delve in. Absolutely, and this is a topic that I have to tell you, first of all, Kate, I never dreamed that it would be one of the books that I would ever do. I just finished my 40th book, and I go, this is not, topic was not initially on my radar but it is so important, and what's happening in our country and the results of the last two and a half, three years of pandemic, chronic stress. I mean, we're entering uh, a mental health pandemic, what we're seeing across the country. And what's really discouraging then, when you phrase it that way, is the fact that there isn't a vaccine per se. We know that mental health counseling and support and great services are part of that, quote, vaccine. And those are greatly lacking in our country. Well, here's what we know. There are more people seeking help than our ability to deliver services. Our facility, A Place of Hope, this is our 38th year, and we've never seen the highest number of calls And then we do a lot of referring. We're connected with organizations and individuals, professionals throughout the country. But when we make a referral these days, what we're being told is, um, I'm not taking any new patients. This is part of the mental health crisis. People are feeling uh, an absolute hopelessness about their future, and they can't get the help when they're seeking it. And that alone could be a reason to really, what, escalate a condition that's happening, someone feeling anxious? Well, what we're finding with, um, you know, the last, uh, I call it the pandemic uh, anxiety virus. Um, Fear has been um, 
rampant and still is, and people are waking up with what I call anticipatory anxiety. It's like, what's going to happen next? And uh, every day there are new unpleasant surprises. And so this chronic stress and anxiety and has created um, depression. Anytime we see depression go up, we usually see anxiety go up. And then when anxiety levels stay high for people, the third thing that we see happen is uh, addiction. So we see an increase in uh, alcohol. Uh, the alcohol, Alcoholic Beverage Association tells us that eight weeks in a row, they sold over a billion dollars a week of alcohol. <laughs> eight weeks in a row, they've sold over a billion dollars of alcohol. So people are turning to alcohol, turning to cannabis, turning to prescription drugs, turning to food. People are looking for a way to cope. I call it mood modulate. They want to feel different. And uh, many people have grown, grown weary. For a period of time, our emergency rooms uh, were not overwhelmed with COVID, as I talked to ER physicians. They were overwhelmed with COVID psychosis. The term that emerged out of our emergency rooms is uh, this term, COVID psychosis. It was people simply had a break from reality because the stress was too prolonged and too long, and uh, we're seeing this this break uh, in people's lives from a mental health point of view. So, youth, our teens, would would you say that they are even more affected than adults, or do we even need to look at it in terms of age? Well, we can break it down into age, and what we do know is, um, yes, kids have been greatly affected. Uh, the year 2021, when we tried to do so much virtual schooling, uh, we actually created, on record, the highest academic failure we've ever seen. Online schooling for our younger kids did not work. Isn't that amazing? The highest academic failure ever. Um, so that said, we've also got a troubling trend right now in our 12 to 17-year-old age range. Um, this uh, is difficult to say, but suicide is the second leading cause of death for our 12 to 17-year-olds. Now, in Snohomish County, uh, what we know in the year 2021, that it was the, that age group, number one cause of death was suicide. Absolutely gut-wrenching, heartbreaking. Uh, well, you think, wait, th- those words shouldn't even go together. Right. It's, it's almost surreal to even say it. And so we have, uh, uh, we have a group of kids in those age ranges that obviously don't feel a whole lot of hope for their future. Apathy has set in. Kids are not motivated like they once were. And so our kids... You know, our kids need us, and they need to know they have great value. They need to know that um, that they can have a dream, that they, they can have good relationships. Because, you know, right now the social anxiety is at the top of the list. By social anxiety, all the social rules change. To, uh, people come out of isolation, and we see one another, and it's like, okay, do I shake your hand? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do I give you an elbow elbow bump? I don't know. What I do know is I certainly don't hug you. That's not okay anymore. So, you know, all the rules changed. 
Yes. So that adds another layer of anxiety with those kinds of questions that go on in our mind. So when there are these stressors for our kids, but as adults, we're looking at the world and probably feeling as overwhelmed and uh, hopeless at times. You know, we just have to look across towards what is happening in the Ukraine and what with how all that affects the people there and then it plays out into the world. I mean, if we really delve into that, that could put us all into deep depression. Yes, if we keep, and you know, there's what I call it doom scrolling. People are on their devices scrolling and scrolling as though they're in a hypnotic state, doom scrolling and oversaturating with all the negative. That'll push you over the edge. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got to have a break from all the uh, negative because that's what we have. We're being fed some very uh, strong negatives consistently. Yes. Um, we need to move from self-absorption to really how can I be of help and serve others? I need to move this uh, to really we need one another and we need to care for one another. We need each other more than ever. So, yes, the adults, we all can fall into this. Hey, what we need to remember is um, kids in particular, they'll absorb the emotion of their environment. If we're creating a fearful, anxious home environment, kids are like a sponge. They're going to absorb that. They're going to feel it. So fear, this is the thing about fear. Fear, you feel it in the environment. Fear can get a stronghold in a person's life. Um, Wasn't that long ago we had the great Seattle toilet paper scare. Remember that one? (laughs) Gosh, it started in Seattle. Somebody decided to load up on a whole bunch of toilet paper, and we started a, a herd of people in Seattle. Then, then it went across the country, people buying toilet paper, filling up their garage with toilet paper. I remember watching a video about a guy that filled his, his garage full, and he was bartering with toilet paper. Okay, now here's – that's fear because um, there's no way that toilet paper is even remotely related to COVID. And when we interview people, why did why did you buy all that toilet paper? You know what they said? They said, I don't really know. I, everybody else was doing it. I, I thought I better do it, too. <laughs> oh, oh, well, there's an answer. So let's start an epidemic of doing something positive. Everyone sees it, and they'll do the same thing. I like it. I like that, Kate. Uh, absolutely. Well, and so then that ties into it. It's I don't think you're saying, you know, just ignore all, all the negativity. We have to be aware, but but yes, don't immerse yourself in it and be consumed by all the different media outlets uh, 20 out of 24 hours a day. Yeah, put guardrails in your life about how much and what you're going to allow in. And uh, we need to absolutely remember that uh, over time that does have an effect, stress. Um, you know, one of the things that we saw is people were afraid to go in for preventative medical care. I was just speaking to a physician in uh, a Seattle, a large Seattle hospital yesterday, and he said uh, one of the effects of that is we're seeing cancer diagnosis rates are uh, higher. We're seeing people that could have had proactive care, but because of fear, did not, uh, did not, have, were, didn't come in for that preventative checkup. So. 
that's what fear will, will do. Fear has serious health consequences. So we need to be honest and real and look at, at what's going on and counteract that. And maybe we can't do it ourselves, but we, do, we need to reach out, hopefully, to a, a mental health professional, if at all possible. Absolutely. Um, and now, you may go, well, they're too busy, I can't get in, I'm on a waiting list. One of the things to, is always do something. And it's okay if you have to be on a waiting list. Um, you know, get a good book. My book, uh, uh, maybe you don't feel suicidal, but maybe it's depression or anxiety. Uh, we've put together some incredible free resources that are uh, on our website. You can just go get the free resources. Um, begin to gather more information. Uh, just don't stay stuck or paralyzed. And what about with friendships or connections uh, with um, other family members? It's re- reaching out in that way, too. We need to have three to five people in our life that really believe in us. They're, they affirm us. They, we feel acceptance. We can be honest with them about what's going on. They support us. They, maybe they support us in different ways. We're, we're in community with them. Um, you know, I think, too, there's spiritual support. There's, there's looking. When we're going to deal with anxiety, depression, and fear, uh, we've got to look at the whole person. Yes, there's the physical side. We've got to care for ourselves physically. Uh, nutrition, uh, our relationships. Uh, is there emotional trauma? Is there things that we need to deal with? Uh, spiritual support. Um, all the pieces of the whole person are so important to look at. So we need to be sensitive to that. And when I when we th- think about our teens, where this is so serious, and you mentioned how we need to create an atmosphere where there is more hope than there is stress and fear, there might be something that happens, though, within the that their own peer environment, though, that weighs on them. So how do we as parents, as, as, as teachers, uh, handle this and, and work with this young person? Yes. Well, we always stay in the game with them. Uh, and remember, uh, if you ask them a yes or no question, the answer that a teenager is going to give you, if you say, how are you, they're going to say, fine. <laughs> and that's where it ends. Um, so remember, uh, be careful about all those kind of closed-in questions, because they're going to say, fine, I'm okay. Um, But stay in relationship with them. Engage in physical activities. Um, You know, if it's throwing a ball back and forth, if it's going for a walk, if it's going somewhere, you have something important to talk about. Engage them in an activity. Um, If you're frustrated and you're angry at your teenager, if you say, hey, sit down, we're going to talk, Look at me in the eyes when I talk to you. Their brain just shut off. <laughs> so that's not going to work. Um, but if you uh, uh, find a, uh, an activity and you're talking about things that are important in between that activity, physical movement is always important with a teenager when I have something that's uh, important to say and I need to be strategic about it. 
And reading, uh, you, you mentioned looking to some of your books, this newest one, So Much to Live For, has a, a very definitive chapter here with the six steps of what to do when we do have any inkling or thought. And maybe it's even a good preventive thing to read and just be aware of in case a situation arises and we can use these steps. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that's important is don't be afraid to talk about it. If you have somebody you're really concerned about and you see depression, you see things happening and it's not getting better, um, ask them just an open-ended question. Tell me about what's going on for you. Tell me about um, how are you really feeling? How are you really doing? Um, are you able, are you eating a meal? Are you, um, you know, look at hygiene questions. Um, but begin to be in dialogue, be in relationship with them. One of the things that you can do is, um, if you're really concerned, um, it's always um, okay, and sometimes it's important that you ask. Um, if they tell you things are really bad, you can ask, have you ever thought about taking your life? Is that something that's going on for you? Do you have those kinds of thoughts? We really do want to know that, and one of the myths is if I use the word suicide or I ask them about that, I'm going to give them an idea. Not true at all. By asking them, um, they may be relieved to tell you how bad it is. So very key information and something to uh, hold close to... um, what, a tool in our tool chest to do what we can for our youth. We might be the neighbor even, you know, have that connection. Uh, th- things are not locked down the way they were a year and two years ago. So so we can build these relationships again. Yes, and it's really important that we do that. So important. Um, there's too much right now um, out there creating division. So if we can create division, if we can take sides and put people at odds with one another, look, this is a time to look look beyond that. Um, look beyond um, how we can uh, really be there for one another. Uh, my wife did something for our family. She actually, you know, put on all our devices those little reminders that you can put in, and it and it comes on all everything I have. It, has, it comes on my computer. It comes on my phone. Um, And it says this, and it comes every day at the same time. It says, one person a day. Mm -hmm. I go, one person a day. I said, sweetheart, what do you, this always comes on. What is this all about? And she says, it's just a reminder that um, there'll be at least one person a day that needs a positive word. They need, uh, they may need something. And just to be alert to look beyond ourselves. That really helped me. And that, you know, that is wonderful because it really comes down to some very simple things. It's not, you know, some huge, uh, big stage we need to be on and save everyone. But yes, doing something for one person who needs a smile, an encouraging word, even just acknowledging them by looking at them as we walk past them on the street. Absolutely. Yes. Um. People are hypersensitive right now, hyperjudgmental, um, and we see a lot of emotional reactivity right now. Mm-hmm. 
well, sometimes we need to put that on pause and, um, and not react as much as respond in a healthy way. Right. And then that will build that, that atmosphere or that condition of hope where in our family, our kids are going to soak that up and learn that as well if we emulate this, if we live this. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I have to share at this point then a wonderful quote that just stays with me uh, most of the time, uh, and I try to keep it with me all the time. Uh, A quote that is, the world is already so tough. How can we be anything but kind? And if we could just, my feeling is, if I can just be kind, it's amazing how that diffuses things, how it just, uh, it's like a breath of fresh air. Absolutely. Keep that up. I love that, Kate. (laughs) So as we... This is so critical, and I, I wanted to talk about our youth and and the great crisis that faces them. And just very recently, we had this very sad situation with Naomi Judge losing a battle with depression. And I guess it was just six years ago, she wrote about how she was having this struggle, and she thought she was dealing with it well. Is this a something that we look at as a using her as an example bless her heart and her soul but is is this something that there are relapses what what can you tell us goes on yeah there's relapses that's a part of uh, recovery we just don't want to do this alone um when you feel overwhelmed you may want to just isolate you you probably don't feel good about yourself we tend, you know, anxiety and depression is as though it lies to us. It lies to us about who we are. It, it lies to us that we don't um, amount to anything. That's, you know, it, it undermines our sense of self and our value. So I think it's so important. Um, gather more information. I have a wonderful online depression uh, test that you can take. It's pretty extensive. And um, and then I even will give you as a gift. I give you a free uh, free download on a book for depression, um, and because I I see part of what we're doing here is we're saving lives and saving futures. And so I'll I'll give you that website before we're finished. But I, I want to resource people to create change. So it's it's what it sounds like might be possible, and we need to guard against is if we've been in recovery and we feel we've reached a good place and then begin to slip, there's some self-judgment that goes on and self-condemnation that maybe then just makes it all worse. Absolutely, and that's called shame. Mm -hmm. We feel defective. We feel like there's something wrong with us. That's one of the lies I was referencing, yes. So that is something to be so aware of. Look at each day as a new slate. Look at each hour as a new slate, perhaps. Start every day with gratitude. Start a gratitude journal. Um, gratitude is interesting studies on gratitude. You go, well, I'm depressed. I don't feel very grateful. And that sure does make sense. I get it. Um, but one of the things that we want to begin to do is develop a spirit of gratitude. It will help you uh, ultimately over time to feel some optimism. Optimism means I feel like I have some hope for my future. 
But if I respond out of gratitude as I go about my day, it's a different place to live from versus that of uh, anger and frustration and despair. A gratitude journal. If we haven't done that, if we haven't kept a journal, period, this would be a good time to start, a, a good activity to incorporate into our life that ultimately is life-saving. You know what? My wife went through cancer treatment a number of years ago, and she started a gratitude journal. And, you know, during chemo and no hair and frail, she was writing gratitudes every day. Mm -hmm. She continued that every day. Um, And she told me later on, in fact, she still does it. It's amazing. She says, I think gratitude is one of the things that saved my life. Mm -hmm. That is so profound. I, I I really appreciate that. So, and that's a great example of someone really going through cancer and the chemo and that, being able to still find something to be grateful for. Certainly, we all can kind of part the curtain a bit, dig a little below our surface and find much to be grateful for. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's there. So you were saying, Dr. Jantz, that there is um, an online resource that we can oh, yes. access. So, oh. so let's touch on that. Okay, thanks for reminding me. Yes, go to aplaceofhope.com. Again, it's aplace, aplaceofhope.com. And there's a tab there that says depression test. Um, it'll take you a little bit of time to complete it. It's pretty thorough. And then... Um, I'm going to send you, you'll get it uh, as a download, but you're going to get a a resource, a book on depression, and uh, there's some other things that uh, we give away because we believe this is really important. Wonderful. So that is a a, a special gift this month of May as we think about gratitude. We're grateful that we have a wonderful resource like this. And it causes me to then think about how you mention um, in this new book, uh, I think it's in this new book, that we need to look at lifelong maintenance of our mental health. So this sounds like a a necessary, important part of it. It really is. When we look, okay, part of my, you know, I, I go to get physical checkups, Sometimes I need to have a little bit of a mental checkup sometimes as well and and do a checkup from the neck up. I need to – there's times where, you know, if you have issues that keep resurfacing for you, uh, they keep coming up, and you're not getting anywhere, well, maybe that's a, a sign. Just it's, it's time to – um, time to really deal with something that maybe is something from the past or some traumatic events. Um, don't let – those things from the past stop you from living fully in the future and making good plans uh, for your future. And there may be a gift in that for ourselves as well. I, I kind of think of a an incredible place in Seattle, Recovery Cafe, where there's a lot of peer-to-peer support that goes on for persons dealing with mental health issues, with addictions. And with the peer-to-peer, I've understood that a lot of people find 
then work. They find their footing. They find a career for themselves. So I, th- I think maybe that's one of the things we'll find is gratitude is as we really pay this attention to ourselves and work on our healing, that incredible doors may open up as to what our future holds for us. Absolutely. Gratitude uh, will help you. It'll bring relationships into your life. So well said, Kate. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I'm just kind of going along thinking about things as you have shared with us, Dr. Jance, because you've certainly, you've, this has been your life's work. And when you actually said that this is your 40th book, I mean, that's that's a lot of information. That's a, a lot of teaching and learning that, that goes into us, uh, into things into these books that uh, only leads to helping us to improve our life. That's right. And, and that's what we want to do. And we can do that. I know we can do it because this is our 38th year and I see people, see people's lives change. So this is the time to do it, to be committed to it. Uh, this has been really invaluable information, Dr. Jance. And uh Again, mentioning the book, So Much to Live For, which really ties in with what our uh, discussion has been this morning. And you can learn more also about Dr. Jantz at drgregoryjantz.com. And Jantz says J-A-N-T-Z. Right, Dr. Jantz? You got it. Right? Absolutely. Well, I do appreciate you, all the work that you do, and I certainly am so grateful grateful for the time that we have spent together this morning. Good to be with you today on, on such an important topic.